0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the Old Testament reading of Second Kings, as you heard a few moments ago. You may be seated. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ. If you were with us last week, you might remember that God is a God of big butts. If you weren't, now you know. So in case you did miss it, and you don't understand what I'm talking about, go back, have a listen, understand more. I'm not going to give you anything else. Today, we don't start out with one of God's big buts, but we do start out with a but. We learn about Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Assyria, a great man, high in favor, By him, the Lord had given victory to Syria, a mighty man of valor. But he was a leper. And leprosy back in these days was no joke. Leprosy could be described by any number of different skin diseases. And the book of Leviticus actually dedicates two whole chapters to leprosy. In the worst of cases... Where it was contagious, through touching, lepers were excluded from the rest of the community. They had to live outside the camp, outside the town, outside the village with other lepers, if there were some. And if anyone would come near them, they had to shout, unclean, unclean! So that no one might mistakenly touch them and get it. Now this exclusion might mean that you can't see your spouse. You can't see your children. You can't see the rest of your family. Which, for some of you parents, that might sound like a vacation. (laughs) But not when you are potentially covered in sores from head to toe. You're itchy all the time, right? Your hair is turned white, though kids have done that to some of us already. What this also meant is that you were excluded from divine worship. You couldn't go to the temple. And so you were separated from your family, but you were also separated from God. Now, you might be thinking, well, but this story of Naaman doesn't have him excluded from everyone. You know, he's not in the outskirts of the camp. We don't hear him shouting, unclean, unclean! And you'd be right. Later, we hear Naaman talk about a place, a spot on him. So it doesn't sound like he was leprous through his entire body. And not every leprous disease required exclusion. I mean, sometimes it was a period of quarantine before you can get checked out again to see if it's gone or not. Also, Jesus is going to tell us in the Gospel of Luke that there were lots of lepers in Israel during the time of Elisha, but only Naaman the Syrian was healed. Which means that Naaman was not an Israelite. So he may not have followed the Levitical laws of leprosy. And we see that it's a slave girl, a captured Israelite, who tells him, of Elisha, the prophet, who could heal him of his leprosy. And so Naaman, he goes, he talks to his king, and he brings a letter to the king of Israel. And along with it, in case you don't know what the talents and the shekels all means, he brings 750 pounds of silver and 145 pounds of gold and 10 outfits. So, this is a massive gift to secure the king of Israel's cooperation. Now, the king of Israel doesn't respond so well, right? He tears his clothes, and it's because he thinks that the king of Syria might be trying to set him up so that if Naaman doesn't get healed, well, then he's going to be held responsible, At least the king does recognize that there is a God who does kill and make alive. However, he doesn't get Elisha involved at this point, and maybe it's because kings and prophets don't usually have the best relationship, since kings typically don't live according to God's commands, and prophets are the ones who come and bring the words of judgment. For example see any king that reigned in the Old Testament. Now, Elisha, the words of the king tearing his clothes comes to him. And so Elisha, he sends words to the king of Israel, and he gets Naaman sent to him, to his house. So Naaman goes with his entire company to Elisha's house, and Elisha goes out to meet him, and he heals him. No! No! Right? He sends a messenger. Now, luckily for Naaman, this is a good messenger, not like those two bears from our story last week. The message today is go wash seven times in the Jordan, and Naaman will be cleansed, his flesh restored. Now, we don't know how far Naaman traveled, and he brought this extravagant gift. And then the prophet won't even come out to meet him. He won't call on the name of his God, right? Maybe Naaman knows who this God is, but I don't think he believes just yet. The prophet's not even going to come and wave his hand over him like a magic wand and heal him. You know, that's kind of the expectation Naaman's thinking at this point. But instead, he's told by a messenger to go dip himself in the Jordan seven times. And let's be honest those waters are not as nice as the ones he's used to. Why couldn't he have just gone and washed in those waters? Why do he have to come all the way here to wash in the Jordan? So Naaman, he leaves angry, rightfully so, given all that he has done for Israel at this point. He deserves that healing. He deserves to meet Elisha, not to just get some message from him, like a little handwritten note. Good thing for Naaman that he has some level-headed servants in his company who set him straight. Tell him to listen to the prophet because, I mean, what else does he have to lose? So he goes to the Jordan, dips seven times, and wow, he's cleansed, right? His skin becomes as smooth as a baby's bottom. And because he has been healed, Naaman acknowledges, believes in the God of Israel The God of Elisha. Sometimes we'd say that seeing really is believing. Sometimes we can even believe without seeing. And we would call that faith. Very good. I thought you'd get it. Now you can compare the story of Naaman here to the story in the gospel where you have the centurion send messengers to Jesus, saying that he is not worthy enough to have Jesus come into his house. All he needs to do is have the words of Jesus. All he needed was the message of Jesus, and his servant would be healed. And so it was. And sometimes when we hear a story like Naaman— We only believe when we see. And we can all sometimes be a lot like Naaman. And we'll look at four ways. So let's first start off with the leprosy. Not to say that we have any lepers in our midst. I've never heard somebody yell, Unclean! As I've gotten close to you. But our sin is like leprosy. It makes us unclean. The sinful words that we use, the sinful actions that we do, the sinful thoughts that we think, it creates division. It creates a division between us and everyone else. It excludes. Our sin excludes us from many things, but the biggest thing that it does is it separates us From God's divine presence. David David says it in this way in Psalm chapter 5. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. Remember, the worst lepers, those who were excluded outside the community, they couldn't attend worship. And where worship happens is where God dwells. In our sin, God wants nothing to do with us because he is holy and perfect and cannot have unholy and imperfect things in his presence. Before God, we are unclean because of our sin. But not just unclean. We are worthy of forever being excluded from God and his presence. We are worthy of death and hell. And we're all in this boat together. That sinking ship of sin and death. And there's only one way for us to be rescued. And it's not paddling faster, trying to scoop out all of the things that are making it sink. It's to have somebody come save us. In our sin, it's like we have this SOS sign flashing over us, crying out to be rescued from the darkness of sin and death. But God doesn't need some flashing sign. He knows. He knows what sin has done to the world, what sin has done to us. And boy, oh boy, as we get closer to Christmas, we know that the light of the world, Jesus Christ, is gonna burst onto the scene. He's gonna shine in the darkness, and the darkness is no match for the light. Because God cares about us and he cares about our sin and he does not want us to experience death and hell. And so Jesus comes to do something about it. He will be born in the least extravagant of ways. Born of the virgin, placed in a feeding trough for his bed. He will live perfectly because he is true man and true God. And for the joy set before him, He will die in the most excruciating way possible. And it will be for our sins. It will be for our death. And he will take hell for us. And at at his death, there will be darkness once again. Yet in three days, that darkness would be overcome again in the most extravagant, yet puzzling to some way, the empty tomb. Now, some didn't get it at first. But Jesus had told them, this is exactly how it was going to happen. He was going to die, and then he was going to rise in three days. He wasn't this conquering king who would defeat the Romans like many expected. Instead, he was the king who conquered the grave and rose victorious from death to life, defeating sin, death, and the devil once and for all. Speaking of expectations, the second way we're like Naaman is in our expectations of God. Naaman expected Elisha, the prophet of God, to come out and meet him, to come out and wave his hand and miraculously heal him. Sometimes we think we need the extravagant especially at christmas time i mean think about now or maybe when you were younger what's on your christmas list right it might be the one time outside of your birthday where you reach for the sky and what you ask for the nicest the most expensive things and maybe you'll get it you hope you do or at least maybe you'll get something like it and what happens when we don't Do we get disappointed? Do we think that maybe our parents didn't hear our request? Do we think maybe that our parents don't love us? Think of how you are with God. Think about all the prayers you've ever prayed. How many times have you reached for the sky? Praying for the impossible? Praying for miracles? Praying for cancer to disappear. Praying for addictions to be overcome. Praying for no more struggles, no more hurt, no more pain. Praying to find a spouse. Praying to have a child. And what happens when that prayer doesn't get answered? Or that answer is, no. Are you disappointed? Do you think that God didn't hear your request? Maybe you even think that God doesn't love you. That couldn't be further from the truth. God loves you with an everlasting, unconditional love, He will never stop loving you. He is faithful even when we are not. His presence is with us even when we can't feel it. And that's because his word tells us. His word tells us that he will never leave us or forsake us. Speaking of the word, the third way we're like Naaman is in how we deal with the word of God. Sometimes, we don't think God's word or even the one who brings God's word is good enough. Naaman gets angry when he was told to just wash seven times in the not as nice as his hometown waters Jordan River. When we think about the Jordan River, I mean, for many of us, we might easily think of John the Baptist, the one who came before Christ. The one who prepared the way for Christ. Advent's so much about coming, the coming of Christ. John is the one who prepares the people for the coming of the Christ. And what was John doing at the Jordan River? Baptizing. So, of course, the Jordan River reminds us of the cleansing waters of baptism. And in our baptism, we don't get seven dips like Naaman. We get three in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we're expecting God to do extravagant things in our lives when God uses simple means like water, His Word to accomplish great things. Sometimes we see them as being so simple, we don't actually recognize them for what they are. Things that have the ability to save, to take you from death to life. Baptism forgives you of your sins, rescues you from death and the devil, And gives eternal salvation to all who believe. Why? Because God's word says so. And if you follow me to the altar, you'll see again that God uses simple means. He uses bread. And he uses wine. And his word. To accomplish great things with Jesus' body and blood in the Lord's Supper, we get the forgiveness of our sins. We are given salvation for all who believe. And our faith is strengthened. Why? Because God's word says so. This is how God deals with us by giving us his means of grace. By giving us the things that we don't deserve. Forgiveness, life, salvation. Through baptism, through the Lord's Supper, through his word, and through Jesus' death and resurrection. And the final way we're like Naaman is not in how God deals with us. It's in how we deal with God. Naaman dealt with the prophet of God by thinking he could bring this extravagant gift and be healed. And even after he's healed, he tries to give Elisha something. But Elisha doesn't take anything. Sometimes we think we need to do something for God. Maybe it's gifts. Maybe we think that the more we tithe, the more we give to God, the more he's going to bless us. Maybe we even say to God, God, I have been trying really hard not to sin. I mean, I know that I've sinned, but I'm trying to get better. So maybe I can just get a little bit of credit for trying not to sin? I mean, what do you think? The truth is, there's nothing we can do. I mean, sure, our response to all that God has done for us is something that we do. We give a tithe because he has blessed us with all that we need in this life. We love only because he has first loved us. We can be a light in this dark world, shining the light of Christ, only because he has made us his light. We, as God's children, Just have to receive from our Heavenly Father. And that's why at Christmas we talk not about the gifts we give. We talk about the greatest gift that we've ever been given. The gift of Jesus Christ. And a gift is something that we receive. It's given to us. Not because we did anything to deserve it. It is freely given to us. So too, with Jesus. Freely given to us. He freely came for us. Not because we deserved it. In fact, it's the exact opposite. He came because we didn't deserve it. He came because it was the only way to save us. He came because he was the only one who could rescue us from sin, death, and the devil. He came because he was the only one who could bring us from death to life. And he did that by dying for us, by giving up his life for us. Why? Because he loves you. Because he was the one Who came to give you peace amidst all your storms. The hope that your life needs. And the joy amidst all the pain. We hear in Romans, For the wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.